Well, I am not Michael Fueling. I have way more hair and I'm better looking than he is. <laughs> I just want to say, I, I, uh, I am really grateful for this individual. Um, this lead pastor at uh, Village Church of Bartlett uh, over the years has come to mean a lot to me. He's become a brother to me. Um, we get to celebrate um, Jesus Christ every single week together. We do our messages together. Um, the thing about Michael is uh, he, he is just, he's a humble leader. Um, when we first talked about this uh, prospect of doing one church in two locations, um, he, um, he and I both agreed we don't want our face on, on screens. We want to be a shepherd to the people. And so, uh, so he allows me to be who I need to be to East, and he's who he needs to be to Bartlett. And as the Lord continues to grow us, uh, we're going to keep planting these churches where we create these small communities of believers who are attached to one another and attached to their pastor. And we have a relationship that changes the world for the kingdom of God. So uh, I'm really grateful for him and he demonstrates that and, and uh, he has been just a blessing to me. So I just wanna brag on him a little bit this morning. I actually don't know if that's gonna go on the, on the, uh, on the tape. Uh, so if it does, Michael, that's for you. All right, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the pastor, lead pastor at East, Village Church East. We meet in Carroll Stream. This is my family. Uh, this is uh, uh, who the Lord has, has just incredibly blessed me with uh, over the years. I wanna bring you greetings from Village Church East. Uh, this is a building that we meet in. If you'd like to come over and join us someday, we'd be glad to have you. Some of you have dropped in every now and again to see uh, what we do over there. We're a crazy group. Uh, this is uh, how we looked at uh, the uh, parade that we did uh, last year at, uh, at East, we, we actually were part of the, um, uh, the parade there. We had a float and everything. It was a lot of fun. We like to be involved in our community a lot. Uh, this past uh, s- uh, couple of Sundays ago, uh, we celebrated our second anniversary. And uh, so uh, that has been a huge blessing to us. Two years at, at Fountain View at Carroll Stream. And the Lord has been good to us during that time. Uh, in order to tempt you a little bit, we actually have better food than you, so if you'd like to come over uh, and be a part of what we're doing. Uh, we uh, love to be involved in our community. This is National Night Out that we did last summer, uh, and uh, we were able to make slime for the kids, and we just had a huge booth full of, uh, full of kids, and we were able to share the gospel with a few people that day. Uh, we also did a concert last sun- uh, summer that was amazing. It was a one concert. One thing that we like to do is we like to network with churches in our area. Uh, so we believe we can do more together, not just as one church in two locations like Bartlett and East, but also inviting other churches that are of like mind to do ser- uh, community service and ministry together. This is one of the things we did. We joined with several other churches and put on this out- outdoor concert that was a lot of fun. Uh, we actually uh, got a prayer booth out of that that uh, was uh, incredibly successful. Had several people come to know the Lord actually at that concert. And so now at East and here, we have a continuing ministry of those, the, the prayer after services. Uh, we do baptisms. Uh, we have uh, several that were baptized uh, last year. If you've ever been to a baptism at East, it's something a little bit different. This is where we gather at the community pool. And uh, there's a pool behind these folks. So people are doing laps while we're baptizing in this little uh, shallow pool here. So it's kind of like the Jordan River, but not quite. Uh, here's uh, some more uh, baptisms. The Lord's been really good to us. Uh, the Lord actually has given us the uh, uh, ability to make some impact in people's lives in ways that I had not anticipated when I accepted uh, his calling to do this ministry. Um, according to this uh, chart here, you can see uh, two years ago, we were, attendance was about 47. We're now at 72 on a regular basis. 
Um, we added 14 new members last year alone, eight baptisms last year. 88% of our church is involved in some sort of ministry throughout the week, uh, which is incredible. Uh, we have three community groups now with uh, 23 participants. We're looking to start another one actually this year. And over this uh, time that we've been... Um, that we've been going, the Lord has allowed us the last two years uh, to be financially stable. Uh, Bartlett, if you don't know this, uh, Bartlett uh, Church has helped us with uh, over the last two years, and we are greatly appreciative of that. So with the financial help that we have from this church, as well as the offerings from our own church, uh, the Lord has allowed us to kind of break the mold a little bit, and we are financially stable, and I'm just so proud of our folks for that. We have uh, last year added on uh, elders as well. This is a huge blessing. John Nowaki uh, and his wife Debbie come over and be a part of what we're doing as well as Brent Amato. So the three of us uh, work together, which I'm so grateful for to have elders uh, on board. And we're training deacons. This year we expect to have a couple of deacons in play by the end of the year. Uh, our youth group is growing. Uh, this is some pumpkin carving that they did at my house. Uh, we have uh, a regular basis, about 13 to 14, 15 kids that meet on a regular basis and, uh, and just do Bible study and life together. Uh, and they actually are doing a missions trip this year. I'm so proud of them. We're taking nine kids to a, a Native American, in, uh, shoot, I still said it, Native American reservation. I'm over 40, so I'm trying to you know, work through my vernacular a little bit. Uh, South Dakota, they're going to be doing uh, some ministry there. We have nine kids signed up for that. Uh, this is our second year as a church, and we already have nine youth ready to go do mission work, and I'm really proud of them for doing that. They are going to be at one of the poorest uh, Native American reservations in North America. And uh, so they're going to be, they're going to have their socks knocked off. So you'll be praying for them. That's coming up in July. Uh, we also have a men's ministry. And instead of giving you pictures of the men, this is what we do best as men. Uh, this is a bacon that we handed out drizzled with maple syrup and chocolate. And uh, we gave away a lot of those. And we also have a vibrant women's ministry that we have going on now. Uh, and they, they, you can see they kind of go overboard when they get together. Uh, this, is, this is a gathering that they had at our house. But I just want to bring you greetings from the church and let you know that the Lord continues to use our church and to grow our church. Um, we are, uh, we're hitting uh, a good amount of people over there where we need to consider what the Lord would have for our future. Um, and so you continue, if you wouldn't mind, keep praying for us. Uh, we need help. Uh, the Lord, interestingly enough, is bringing us young families. And so with young families, they come like with two or three kids each. And so we're having this influx of young families, which is stretching our children and nursery areas. So we set up a nursery area, a children's area, and a main auditorium every single Sunday. And we are constantly looking for help with our children's ministry. And so Michael has told me, I'm not doing this uh, out of order or anything. He can, he'd be glad to hear me say this. But if you are, are gifted in children's ministry, we, we are laying a petition that if you could come and be a part of us, uh, of what we're doing at East, I know it's a big, uh, it's a big ask uh, to get you to, to do that. But if the Lord lays that on your hearts, if, you, if you're good with children, there's a need at East. Uh, we, are, we are trying to uh, uh, have the right amount of adults uh, so that the children both can learn and be in a safe environment. Uh, we follow the same rules and guidelines as here at Bartlett, uh, one church in two locations. And so if the Lord lays that on your heart, we really could use some, some help with that ministry. And um, 
our service starts at 10.30. So you could actually go to the early service here, zip over there, and be there in time to help us with the children. So that's just a little something for you to consider, all right? Uh, we would love the help. And there's one other area, uh, set up and tear down. It's an enormous task to set up and tear down a church for every single Sunday. And so we're constantly looking for uh, extra hands. You don't have to be gifted really with anything other than to move something from point A to point B. And so if you'd like to be a part of our setup crew or teardown crew, setup meets at 7.30, And uh, you can be over there to help set up and uh, teardown starts at 12.15 or thereabouts. Um, and we could always use some help for that. So if you've been looking for somewhere where the Lord might uh, use your gifts, in some unique ways. Uh, this is an area where the Lord is now, uh, have, has his hands of blessing on. And uh, if we had your help, we could do more. So if you would uh, consider that, that would be great. This is my daughter inviting you to Village Church East. All right, so, uh, so pray about that. Several after the morning service came up to me afterwards and said, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna be praying about that. And uh, if the Lord lays that on your heart, uh, there is a need and the kingdom is growing in Carol Stream. And we are networking with other churches and we are reaching into the community. Uh, this coming Friday, as a matter of fact, we're doing a Good Friday service with three other churches, uh, which we pr pretty much have laid out, but we've, we're actually doing it at another campus because we can't do it at Carol Stream. And, um, and so that's a big part of what we do. So if you like that kind of thing, if that kind of gets you going, uh, or if you're just looking for a place where your, your hands can get used for something, join us. We'd love to have you, all right? Kindness. We are entering into Passion Week, and this is a climactic moment for believers' faith. Beginning with Palm Sunday, next Sunday, and then going through course of the week and all the events that happen in Jesus Christ, more is written about this week in the gospel than any other week in Jesus' life. By the time you get to the end, you hit Good Friday, you've had the, the cross, and the, the pathway to the cross, and then, and then the letdown of Saturday. And then Sunday comes and, and all of a sudden everybody is surprised. Something happens that has never happened before. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us as believers holds great significance because it is the climactic moment that seals our fate. As Christians, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have anything to hope in. In fact, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians that if Jesus is not risen from the dead, our faith is useless and we've been lying to each other this whole time. This week coming up highlights the sacrifice, the love, the residue of our sin, the shame of the cross, the victory over death. But more than anything else, I think in a way it highlights one significant part of God that we don't talk about a lot. And that is it highlights the kindness of God's heart. Have you ever had somebody be kind to you in a spectacularly outlandish way? Like more than just hug you after church or be kind to you and say, how's things going? But in a way that, that sacrifices something for you that you weren't expecting or a shoulder that you could cry on that you weren't, you weren't really expecting. Just something that came out of the blue where somebody was so kind to you and you just felt so humbled to receive that kindness. Some of you know, and, and uh, I've appreciated your, your, uh, your prayers for me over this past month. March has been quite a ride for me. Um, uh, it started at the beginning of the month um, I was diagnosed with uh, a virus and then um, struggled with that. I was eating for two weeks. I ate one spoonful of soup a day. 
um, I, was, I was losing enormous amount of strength and um, went into the doctor actually three times. Hate needles, but looked forward to the doctor's visit by the end of it because every time I would go, they'd put an IV in me and it was like, it was like blowing up a balloon. I was like, okay, I got energy again. It was wonderful. Two weeks that went on and they misdiagnosed me and then they said I had a parasite that I must have got from the mountains of Malaysia when I was hiking up there drinking out of a stream and I was going, I've never, I don't know what you're talking about. Totally misdiagnosed. About four, uh, three days after that, I took some uh, antibiotics and about three days after that, I had one of the most incredible moments of pain I've ever had in my life. Uh, I had a gallbladder attack and uh, it knocked me on the floor, literally. And uh, I've heard that it's as bad as child labor. So So I said that the first service and the ladies all went, you have no idea what you're talking about. So, uh, but that's what I heard. Somebody told me that. So it's not me that said that. Somebody told me. Um, But it it was an incredible, incredible pain. I didn't know what it was. um, And so Beth rushed me to the hospital and... um, made it there and they, they diagnosed me my gallbladder was gangrene and so they ended up taking it out. And uh, so that began a healing process after that which I'm still uh, recovering from. During that time, it was really, it was an awful time. I was on my back the entire time. But every once in a while I would get a card from somebody and the card would be an encouragement. Beth would read it to me or, or I would, um, uh, somebody would bring over a meal for us or uh, somebody would call and say they're praying for me. And, and I know that you guys were all praying for me. And, and I got to tell you, it, it's moments like that, like when you hit those moments when you, you literally can't lift a finger and somebody goes out of their way to do something kind to you and it, it, it just kind of blows you away. And you think to yourself, the world will stop for a moment and take notice of this because it's so rare. For somebody to be that sacrificial for somebody else, has anybody ever done something like that for you? It's been a moment of time when you went through a challenging series of events and somebody gone way out of their way to bless you, maybe experience a time of loss, somebody just to sit with and cry with or, or somebody sacrificed to meet your needs. I wanna ask you a question. How did you feel when that person did that? It kind of humbles you, right? It kind of makes you feel like, I'm not deserving of this kind of, of grace. I don't, I've done nothing to deserve this. And so your natural reaction when you receive that kind of kindness, that kind of outstanding kindness, your natural reaction is to think, what can I do to pay you back? We have a tendency, there's something in us to say to ourselves, we don't deserve this, so we must do something to pay it back, to make it right with somebody else. This takes me to one of my favorite verses actually in the Bible, Romans 2.4. And here's what Romans 2.4 says. It uses this word kindness in reference to our God. It says, do you presume on the riches of his, this is God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it is God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance. In order to understand this verse fully, it's a great verse on its own, but to understand it's fully, you almost have to back, to, uh, back into Romans chapter one. Now, if you know Romans chapter one, it's an interesting, might be one of the most interesting passages in all of scripture. It begins by talking about God's kindness, his creation, and how he created all of this around us so that he could demonstrate to us how much he loves us. His attributes in an envelope packed into everything that he has made so that we are meant to look at all creation and wonder at the kindness and graciousness and and greatness of God. Creation is made for us 
So that it would point us back to the creator and sit in awe of his goodness. God generously reveals himself to us in the things that he has made. But humankind turned their back on this demonstration of kindness. And instead of thanking God for his kindness and grace, they rebelled against him and even chose to use the things that were created in spite of him and sometimes even against him. It says this in Romans 1.28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In our rebellion and taking the things that God has created to demonstrate his kindness to us and instead turn and use them against him or against each other, we stick our finger in the eye of God. We use from a rebellious mind, we use the things that he has given us to do things that ought not to be done. And from this point on, the writer of Romans gives us this incredible cesspool of human human development. From here, the spiral effect of the human rebellion is unearthed. The writer gives us a list of depraved actions that would make a good Canadian blush. Rebellion that leads to selfishness, that leads to sexual immorality, that leads to anarchy, demonstrated in all manner of unrighteous behavior. We get so bored, in fact, the writer of Romans 1 says, that we get so bored of regular ways to do evil that we invent new ways to do evil. Woven through this list of human depravity, these depths of human despicable behavior are deeds surprisingly lumped together. Here's a few of them. These are just two verses, 29 and 30 in chapter one. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Now look at this list because it shocks me the way that God lumps the, war, the sins together. You think that murder would go with some pretty bad things, but look where he puts it. Those who invent new ways to commit evil, that's a pretty big thing, right? Those who invent new ways to commit evil are right next to those who disobey their parents. Disobeying parents, that's like way low on the guilty scale, right? That's that's not too high on the guilty scale, but in this list, it's right next to people who invent new ways to commit evil every day. Do you ever feel like you're living in that day today? Now keep looking, slander is next to haters of God. You ever slander? Well, you're lumped in a, a list where you're right next to people who hate God. How about envy? If you're on this list, if you envy, you're lumped right next to a murderer. In other words, this list gives us all of the depraved actions of human existence and it lumps them in this chaotic order, it seems to us, but it does so because we need to understand any offense against a holy God is enough to condemn us. One sin is not greater than another. They might hold greater consequences, absolutely. But before God, one sin is enough to condemn us. Then we applaud those who jump in into any depravity that goes along with us. And the list finishes with this incredibly horrific verse. Verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to what church? Deserve to die. 
They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Do you wanna know why? Because if you're doing something that bothers your conscience, and you know deep down that it's not the right thing to do, it's much easier to do if you get with a group of people that think the same way you do. Searing your conscience is a group activity that makes us feel better. You don't believe that? Explain to me how in the world we can justify killing an infant the minute they're born. Apparently the unleashed rebellious heart is capable of quite a list of disappointing behavior. And so church, in this way, we are all rebels because we are all inclined to sin over righteousness. Our natural reaction when we get punched is not to forgive. Our natural reaction is to strike back. We are lumped together in our rebellious behavior. We are all in the same condemned leaky boat. Now some people will balk at this. It's never good to be faced with your own sin. Some of you might, might this morning say, Craig, uh, fire and brimstone, I'm not, I'm not into that. I, I'm not all about that. We don't like having our one small shortcoming lumped in with rebelling against God. But I want you to know that's why Romans 1 exists. It's because we are all to understand this list is here of human depravity because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is where Romans 2 begins. Verse 1. That's why the first word, by the way, is, what's the first word? Church. Therefore, therefore is always there for a reason. So this verse 1 of chapter 2 is meant to help us understand this thought that you're about to read now is connected to whatever you read in Romans 1. And Romans 1 was a depressing read of human depravity. And so we get into verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, Paul the Apostle says in verse one, you have no excuse, O man or woman, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. This is where we go back to Jesus reminding us not to judge one another, lest we be judged. We have a tendency to judge others because to be frank, it makes us feel better about ourselves. For us, the sins that we condemn are so much easier to condemn if they're way down on the depravity scale. It makes us feel less responsible in our own minds. In other words, we might fail, but we don't fail like them. But the point is, it's not the depth of your sinful abilities. The point is we're all guilty of abusing God's blessings. That's why Romans 1 rolls humanity together in their rebellion, because compared to the kindness of God, we have all fallen short of any expectation we might have from him. If I were to ask you, why is God good to you? The only answer that suffices is, do you know? Because he's good? Because he loves us? All of those things are true, but the bottom line is, why is he kind to you? And the answer is, I have no idea. Because there's nothing in human history that can compare his kindness to anything that we understand. Compared to the kindness of God, we've all fallen short. 
So we come to the next verse. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on all those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? God is the only one who has the right to judge because he has no sin. He literally is the only one that can look at somebody else and say, well, you've fallen short of perfection because he lives it. He lives perfection. We respond by taking whatever God has created for us and we use it for ourselves and demonstrate on a regular basis we fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes even we use whatever God gave us to hurt each other or to hurt ourselves or even to stick our thumb in God's eye. This brings us to the main verse in context. And so I read for you once again with understanding this is what this verse says. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it is God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance? Three words, kindness, patience, tolerance. Kindness is the first one, and it gives gasoline to all the others. Kindness, this word can be translated actually in different places, goodness or kindness. So you have to look at the context to see why it is interpreted kindness here. And rightly so, it should be kindness. It's not goodness here because goodness is something that God is. Kindness is something that God does. We know God is good because he is kind to us. We know he has goodness in him because he demonstrates that to us regularly. In fact, you may not know this, but the word good comes from the word God. Anglo-Saxon word for good was translated into the word God. This is where we get our understanding of God is good. It's the best word to describe him. But Paul is using a word that doesn't tell us about his nature. Instead, it reflects his actions. He is a God who demonstrates regularly a kind action toward his created order. Kindness is an affable characteristic that is bestowed upon something in order to draw a reaction, something given to us that needs a response. Good is something that God is, but kindness is something that God does. Second word here is tolerance. <clears throat> Please understand, tolerance, the way the world describes it, is not the right word. When we say that God is tolerant, we do not mean that he someday will be able to put up with our foibles and understand us in our sin. That is not the God that we serve. This is not the idea of learning to live with your faults and adjusting myself to your nuances. God is a tolerant in a whole different way. I'll explain to you this way by taking you right back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Whereas the world will describe tolerance as learning to accept somebody, learning to accept who they are, their belief system, and adjusting to their faults, God uses tolerance in a completely different way. In Genesis chapter one, the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it, you will, what church? Die. You will die. Adam and Eve created in the garden. This tree was put there. God said, you can eat from any tree, but don't eat from that one because when you eat from it, you will die on that day. 
So you know the story, Eve takes it, she gives it to her husband, he takes it also. Did they die? They died spiritually, but did they continue to live physically? That's God's tolerance. God tolerates humankind, and what we mean by that is he simply is merciful to allow us to linger one more day, even if we use that day to stick our finger in his eye. That's how God is tolerant. The verse that we read earlier, Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I love that, slow to anger. He does not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. But he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. God's tolerance simply means that you have another day to exist, to experience God's mercy. God does not immediately judge the way that our sin demands, simply because he is kind. God's tolerance simply means we have another day to repent. We have another day to turn back to Jesus. And as we learn from the prodigal and thousands of other stories in scripture, it doesn't matter how far down the barrel of human depravity you can climb. God's grace will reach down to the lowest and pull you out. There's no one who can escape his merciful grasp. If you reach up for him, he's always reaching out to you. And if you ask him for forgiveness, he always forgives you. It's never contingent on our activities. It is completely contingent on the cross of Jesus Christ. And that action was done a long time ago. And so anyone who comes to Jesus for forgiveness gets it. Don't mistake God's tolerance for acceptance or you'll miss the very next verse. The very next verse is in verse five. Because of your hard and impotent heart, impenitent heart, you are storing up for yourselves wrath on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Someday his patience will run out, but not yet. But not yet. But don't presume upon the kindness of God that gives you another day to rebel against him. The last word is patience. This is an interesting word. Patience does not mean forgetful. God's patience simply means that he will endure with you for a long, long, long time. And he will endure humanity for a long, long time. Noah built the ark probably 70 years on, but 120 years from when he got the first instructions until the day of completion. And during that 120 years, as the man probably who became known as the man down the street who was a little nuts in the head, who became known as the crazy man building a boat in the middle of the desert, Noah built that ark, and what do you think he was doing for 120 years? Going to his neighbors, going to everybody who listened, everybody who asked him, dude, why are you building a boat? There's no water around here. What are you gonna do with this? What do you think he said to them? Listen, there's coming a day of judgment. This boat is for you. If you get on, you'll be saved. If not, you'll perish. 120 years. Isn't God patient? How about a better illustration? How about the children of Israel? Those spectacles of amazing obedience that God has chosen 
to, to follow him through the desert, right? In rebellion, they all died and their carcasses rotted in the desert. Why? Because they turned their back on the promises of God. But why did he put up with them, feed them with manna from heaven and once in a while quail and give them shoes that never wore out and allowed them to have Moses, a guy that would lead them and love them for 40 years? Because God is patient. Why does he put up with me? Why does he put up with you? Rebels still breathe and have one more moment, one more opportunity to hear God's word. And you and I live in a world where human life is torn from the womb and celebrated as freedom. Why does God put up with us? We live in a world where God's gift of sexuality is paraded in front of our children's eyes as non-consequential and free from God's control. Where church buildings are burned in Egypt and Christians are tortured in public areas in North Korea, Iran, Turkey, Sudan, and millions of other places. Where dictators flaunt affluence while robbing justice and dignity from their own people. Where prayers forbidden in public places, where Bibles are forbidden to be read. Where Jesus' name is forbidden to be attached to a prayer where God's truth is largely confined as hate speech. Churches tolerate sin because they're unwilling to lose congregations. And so I ask you, church, why does God put up with us at all? If we got what our sin demanded, we wouldn't have made it past three. Why does the righteous one of heaven, why does he not make such an end to such abominations? And there's two reasons. He does not give us what we do deserve. And he does give us what we don't deserve. God bears with much long-suffering vessels that are fit for destruction, and his kindness is still in play to draw us more and more into the family of God that makes up his glorious kingdom. And so I tell you, church, this verse is as important as it was when it was written 2,000 years ago. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Church, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's kindness drives his patience. God's kindness is essential to his character. We can easily miss the heart of God that would be so kind to look beyond our sin and see us as objects of grace. We easily miss the kindness of God who would sacrifice his own son so that we could escape the penalty of our actions. We miss the kindness of God because we pass by it in our peripheral vision all too often. We complain way more than we give thanks. And yet God says in his word to give thanks continually and to pray without ceasing. I have yet to find a verse where it says, complain always. Sometimes that kindness that God gives us is rough going. I want to acknowledge this. Sometimes God will allow in his kindness, he will allow us to go to the depths of our depravity so that he can reach in and grab us and say, this is what I can rescue you from. Sometimes it hurts because he takes us to a deep, deep, dark place. But the minute you reach up for him, he's there. His forgiveness is always there. And sometimes God's kindness is very tender. Sometimes he'll come alongside of us and walk through a journey with us and we will have a peace that passes understanding. We can't explain it to anybody, but we know it's there because God's kindness is tender sometimes. But one thing about God's kindness is you can always count on it. His kindness is always compassion because it always reaches over our sin and gives us a way home. 
What's the purpose of God's kindness to us? Well, the verse says it always is given to us so that we can find a way to repent. God's kindness is given to us so that it's meant to lead us to repentance. It's a way out of our darkness. It's a way for us to be reminded that God is still good even though our lives might be cruddy. Even though the world we live in might be, even though our cards might be awful. Do you presume upon the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not understanding, not knowing church, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It is precisely our sin that keeps us from God and it is precisely God's kindness that leads us home. Church, it is the kindness of God and nothing less that reaches to us and leads us on the path home. And that's why I wanted to do this message for you this Easter. It doesn't have a lot to do with the Easter, um, the cross and the, the grave, other than without the kindness of God, we would never receive Jesus Christ. His kindness is what gave us Jesus. His kindness is what made God bring a lamb for our sins. It is God's kindness. It is that very thing that leads us to the cross for rescue. And there would be no forgiveness if God was not kind. So I leave you with three so what's. Number one, God's kindness to you is powerful enough for you to see it as evidence that he loves you. If you have a hard time understanding how God loves you, fall back on his kindness. Begin writing ways that God has been good to you, that he has demonstrated kindness to you, and you will not have a hard time understanding his love for you. God's kindness is connected strategically to his love. If he wanted to condemn you, he would have done it a long time ago, and you would not be here today. God's kindness is best seen in his forgiveness. Number two, don't confuse God's love with the world's definition of tolerance. Please never, never do that. If God is patient with you, it's not because he's learning to accept your foibles. If God is patient with you, it's not because he's learning to accept your faults and your sins. If God is patient with you, it's because he's still building you into an image of his dear son. We are being transformed from glory to glory into an image of Jesus Christ. And if God is still working on you, it's to make you more like Jesus, not to get used to you. Thank God he doesn't, doesn't get, used to, get used to us. Number three, remember God's kindness is passed on to us as a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness. Self-control, in light of this truth of God's kindness, you need to understand when you accept Christ as your savior, you get the whole package deal. You don't get a little love and a little, little kindness. You get the whole package in the spirit of God. And if you have a hard time being kind to others, it's not because God's dropping the ball, it's because you don't understand the spirit of God and the power that works within you. God's kindness is deeply at work to redeem our lives and to make us look more like God being kind to us. As believers follow Jesus Christ, we're called to be a, have a capacity for kindness that mirrors God's own kindness to us. And so we don't judge others because we never know what God is doing in their lives. This is the hardest thing because we look at other people, we say, God must be done with them. You never know what God is doing with them. So be kind to them. Love on them. 
And if you have a hard time doing that and you think to yourself, well, Craig, I can love my friends, but this is really difficult. Let me remind you of the words of Jesus Christ. You love your friends, bravo. Even sinners do that. The test of Christian love is whether you can love those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus says, love your enemies. That's hard, but it's only available through the Spirit of God. He will give you the power to overcome. And it's listed so many times in Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. Colossians 3.12, God's chosen are to have compassionate hearts, full of kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Ephesians 4.32, be kind, church, to, say this with me, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. How? How are we kind to one another, church? Defining the word kind is very difficult, but this verse gives us a good definition because it says, be kind to one another, and here's how you do it. Now read with me the orange, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? What lengths did he go to to forgive you? God's kindness is best seen in his offer of forgiveness to us and our kindness Our kindness, mirroring God's kindness, is best seen in our offer of forgiveness to others. I know many of you have been hurt. Many of you have been chafed in relationships in the past. But I want to tell you, the Spirit of God, if you know Christ as your Savior, is heavy at work within you. And you can be kind even to those who treat you poorly. Our ability to mirror God's forgiveness into others can only be realized as we recognize how kind God has been to us. God's reach had to go far beyond our sin in order to save us. And it is kindness that looked over our sin and provided us a way of rescue. How far did God have to reach to get your attention? How deep did he have to reach to be kind to you? Where did he have to go to find you? God's kindness has to go to great depths in order to reach beyond our offenses and rescue us for him. So how far did he have to go to find me? He had to go about this far. Let's pray. So Father, we come to the end of our message talking about a very simple topic and yet one with huge ramifications. Because for us, it's so easy for us to not see your kindness because we get it all the time. We are grateful, Father, that you demonstrate kindness toward us and that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And so, Father, I pray that we would enter into that same mission in our lives to reach beyond whatever sin has been done against us, whatever offense has been done against us, and we would desperately fight to demonstrate the kindness of God to those even who have hurt us or whose actions we simply cannot approve of. Instead of judging, Father, let us offer kindness. Let us offer love. Let us always offer forgiveness so the minute somebody turns from their wicked ways, they know that they will have a place next to our heart. So teach us, Father, to be more like you. And in this way, help us to demonstrate a supernatural kindness in a broken world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.